Grand Moth Tarkin. I am honored by your visit. Welcome to Grand Moth Talkin, delicately curated long-form discussion of the internationally beloved Star Wars saga, tailored to the modern fanatic, brought to you lovingly in weekly increments by the loquacious yet soothing voices of your hosts, Riley. Hey. Jake, that's me, and Isaac. I'm going to get angry. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is an original GMT3 episode. Yep. Been a while, as mm-hmm. uh, people say in songs. Um, just kicking it right off with references to other podcasts. <laughs> Not familiar. Uh, Jasmine is uh, off with Chelsea, actually. And they're both partying somewhere. This could be like March before you're actually hearing to these be honest, words right now. Yeah, yeah, we don't know when this is coming out. Because she's gone, we're trying to record, like, basically, just to let you know, filler episodes. Uh, this is not going to be a good episode of the podcast. All killer, no filler. <laughs> all filler. This is an all filler, no killer. Exactly. The band. The Hot Fuss. Samstown. Presumably whatever that next one was. Day and Age. My least favorite song ever written. Are we human or are we dancers on whatever the third By any Did band? you say dancers? Because I'm pretty sure you meant to say dancer. I did say dancer, and that okay. is what he says in the song. Okay, yeah, no, I know. I wanted to make sure you said dancer. And that's really the topic of our episode. Never have I been more disappointed in a band's career trajectory after listening to Hot Fuss, which really, in a way, defined like middle school Isaac listening to that album. Sounds about right. It is just... So you were like every other middle school kid. Yes. Is what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> There's nothing interesting about you at all. Not particularly. <laughs> you like Star Wars. You like the Killers. Yeah. Hot Fuss was such a good album. It and had then three good songs. After that, Brandon Flowers was like, you know Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> and he just said and that in like, every single interview. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, well, you're going to know him now. Yeah, he's like, and he tried to become Bruce Springsteen, but with none of like the redeeming Americana-ness. Well, it was weird that he actually changed his name for a while to Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> he really did. And, st- and started Samstown by saying, I'm Bruce Springsteen, and this is Samstown. <laughs> Spiritually, and then it was like, he did all these clack, things. Clack, clack, and then they got in the first song. I remember that being a pretty good album, though. Samstown is okay. I don't yeah. know what you got to get Samstown. Yeah, but I mean, get down after on this Hot Fuss, I just wanted so much more than... So you're like those Radiohead fans that are disappointed after OK Computer. Nothing like that. Those are horrible people. I know most of them personally. <laughs> That's not really the same thing because they made Kid A, which is one of the greatest albums ever made. And Are We Human or Are We a Dancer is probably the worst song ever written. If people would have just true, but... stuck with Radiohead like through Kid A and Amnesiac, they really turned out to be quite unrolled. If you took those two albums out, extracted that from their catalog, like most of like I think mainstream listeners wouldn't have batted an eye. When Hail the Thief came out after OK Computer. Yeah, that would be... That's a more natural... Well, that was what they said they were going to do. Is we, well, I'm sorry. We're not going to talk about this anymore. We're, we're Star Wars podcast. I was having <laughs> so much fun. Legit. I know. I, I know. But we don't have fun on this show. So we're talking about... Riley, are you alive still? <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, Any hot Radiohead takes while you're over there? Uh, I think Kid A is a superior album to OK Computer. But so it then, is. Everybody's smart. But then after <laughs> Kid A, I just don't really care about Radiohead anymore. I know they're still good. I just don't care about them. Really? Yeah. Why is this? I, just, I don't know. I just don't care. Mm. I can't de- I can't describe it. Like I, I like some stuff. You uh, know, that's like what Shmi said Rainbows. in The Phantom Menace. Right. She, she said, said about Radiohead I anymore? can't describe it. Mm. And that's uh, what, that's she talked about like, her immaculate conception of that's, Anakin. Yeah, that's, and that's I, how you feel about That's how Radiohead. I feel about Radiohead. Amnesiac was kind of the immaculate conception of Radiohead's catalog. <laughs> that's really true. It didn't come from anywhere. Well, What this, were we even talking George about? It's still technically the episode, guys. I don't think we really started because we started talking about music. <laughs> yeah, we didn't start. We haven't done anything. After the intro. 
I like this episode personally. Yeah, this is probably my favorite episode. I'm really going to keep some personally. in. We'll, we'll just do our patented, we just cut a bunch of stuff out thing. Okay. So we did just cut a bunch of stuff out. <laughs> Boy, did we. <laughs> like a half hour just down a weird rabbit hole. Okay. Darn. <laughs> I mean, like, really weird. In a manner of speaking, yes. <laughs> Back in. Dragon Jake. We just cut out five seconds of something. <laughs> After then cutting out half an hour or something. Yeah. So 30 seconds and... Counting. No, 30 minutes Gone and, in five, 60 and seconds. five seconds. Gone in 60 seconds is a film, and that's what we're talking about today on the show. Films. Is films. Um, specifically, the films of George Lucas. G.E. Orge Lucas? <laughs> G.E. Orge Lucas. Um, Riley is shaking Greatest his head. joke Isaac's ever made. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, Riley, kick us off here. What, what are we talking about? I mean, we're talking about G.E. Orge Lucas, like, of course. Like football kickoff? I'm going to football kick yeah, us off. Run across the room real American quick. American football kick it off for MJ Noester. That was a kick. Um, or like a cricket off. Cr- However you cricket off. Go ahead and cricket it off. Well. <laughs> Rhymes with kick it off. It sure does. We were going to do some research and like watch American Graffiti and THX 1138. We didn't. But what um, podcast is this? Yeah, I know. Is it but, research the podcast? No. We're just, we're literally just going to talk about George Lucas. I'm sure we'll get into Star Wars. I'm sure we'll get into his, his personal health, life. His, his money. Health. Just to be clear, his so butt. we can get out of the way. <laughs> his birth. How his butt. Do, do all three no. of us have a George Lucas impression at our disposal? No, I don't do it. Yeah, I think I probably can work it up. Do you I have a Jay Leno it. impression and an Arnold Schwarzenegger impression as well? <laughs> I have What a, about a walk-in? Uh, you have a Christopher Walken. <laughs> I have a walk-in. Uh, closet. Uh, closet. <laughs> A little slow in the old brain hole today. So anyway, we're just going to talk about George Lucas a little bit. I have some stuff to talk about. Marsha, stuff that's been said before. You guys are friends. I'm friends with his ex-wife, Marsha Lucas. Friends. But we just want to talk about him. Benny and the friends. We haven't seen him for a while. It's a little worrying. He's been on the show. He gets a lot of flack. Some of it is deserved. Most of it probably is not. But... He's the dude who made Star Wars, and if we do, if we if we didn't have a George Lucas, we wouldn't hey, have George a podcast. No, if we had like two George Lucases, <laughs> maybe we, have, we still have Star Wars. How many George Lucases does it take to screw in a light bulb? You guys know what? Zero, because he has the CGI team do the whole thing. <laughs> hey, see, buddy, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> I was hoping for a Woody retort. A Woody retort? That's a you, <laughs> Tom Hanks. <laughs> you know, New York's usually the main character in most retorts. In most Woody retorts, is this uh? Episode still dedicated to no, one of our I don't want to dedicate it. We're not going to dedicate this, and I'll tell you why because we don't know when it's coming out. And so, at one point, we were only dedicating episodes to Razakai Ren Ryan Bullock. <laughs> yeah, which is almost certainly how it's pronounced. Uh, Mr. Force Friday himself. For all we know, we could still be only dedicating episodes to him, but if we have one more review, then we're not. Did you know when the National wrote the song Mr. November, they were this close to calling it Mr. Force Friday, actually? <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> Is that the best National you. song? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. I won't argue with you. Okay. Well, you know what? We are going to argue about some things. <laughs> I like that song that they made specifically for Portal 2. That's a good song. I don't know that one. I, re- I played Portal sure. 2, and I kind of... Mr. Portal? Wasn't it just like during the... Yeah, it was called Mr. Portal. I don't even know Never. if it was in the credits. There was like a, a radio you could find somewhere in the game. That's what it was. Didn't right somebody song. else do a song for that game? Possibly. I don't know. Remember that one art 
exhibit that the National played Sorrow for eight hours straight. I thought you were going to stop at art. You remember that one art? <laughs> <laughs> you guys remember that, though? The National played Sorrow for eight hours straight. I do. I remember that Deer Hunter played My Sharona for three straight hours. That's a good oh. song, but I don't think I want to hear it for eight hours. Straight. Sorrow or My Sharona? Either. Sorrow is maybe my favorite song on that album. It's a good song. It's I just really don't want to hear it. Sorrow was like my official, like, I'm a depressed, heartbroken boy and I'm 19 years yeah, old. Me song. That's what it too. is. I got the album right over there on vinyl. You know, High Violet himself? Mr. Yeah, High Violet? Mr. High Violet on vinyl. Why don't High they vinyl. call every one of their albums Mr. and then the title of the album? Like, Mr. November was such a hit for them. Speaking of Mr. Album, I have not listened to their full album all the way through yet. Their new one? Their new one. I haven't either. I, haven't either. I got a few songs through it, and then I was doing something else. I have full, to be in the mood full. for the uh, National. You really do. They're kind of mood rock. Uh. Okay, so, we're talking about George Lucas. We're talking about his health and <laughs> his beard. Uh, but mostly we're talking about his movies. Yeah. So, uh, where do you want to start this conversation, Riley? I don't know. Where do you I want to start no this conversation? Either, this is Isaac's, this is Isaac's like, child. Isaac, this of... is your baby. This is your Norman Reedus throat baby. <laughs> <laughs> to use the old expression. What I wanted to talk about, I think Riley actually kind of hit it. I mean, I just kind of want to get like kind of a in the middle reading on George Lucas because it seems like it, it's one of the. I, I really hate like reflexive takes. My read from is the middle of George Lucas is his belly. You know, buddy. Quite frankly, I knew you'd come up with something. Hey, know, there it is. <laughs> Continue. But of George Lucas is slightly below the middle of George Lucas. <laughs> Continue. What I really wanted to do was just kind of get like a room temperature reading on the guy because... <laughs> you went, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's stop the clock, let's stop the presses, let's stop. Usually on this show. But we have hot takes. Mm -hmm. You want a lukewarm take on George Lucas? I want the Lucas of warm Film? takes. Film? Oh, okay. In honor of Luke S. Skywalker. Do you think that was a mistake? Coincidence, Lucas? I, do, I have long suspected that his name was supposed to be... George Lucas Skywalker? Luke S. Skywalker. <laughs> Lucas Skywalker. Like, I never did see, actually pick up this really bad, the, the Luke and Lucas oh, thing. Oh, for sure. Luke, Good Luke Lord. Skywalker, Luke S., yes. Right, yeah. I mean, like Absolutely. the original art that Which, Ralph McQuarrie did of... I think it was... Well, it was the, the, the original protagonist looked exactly like... I was going to say, though, but... The magic kind of being ruined by making of Star Wars, like, wasn't the original protagonist, like, Anakin Starkiller, who was a woman? So, I mean, it's like... Oh, that's right, yeah. So, it eventually got away enough from that. We're talking about George Lucas right now. We only have to try. That's... For those who when you're a Star Wars, Wars Star podcast, Wars. the George Lucas talk just kind of flows through, like, the sweet vanilla through the nectar of a honey. Or, like, the pheromones from one's fingertips to the back of someone while giving a massage. If you're listening to our Canobite episode, you know where that comes from. I understand if you don't listen to it. 1-800-GMT-YESS. We're glad to hear that. It resurfaced after months of absence. <laughs> um, Riley, now yeah. give your give your reasonable take on George Lucas. I'm assuming that you have an unreasonable one that we'll have yeah. to fight you on. I think he's a, a, a pretty good director who worked best like all directors, when he collaborated with the other people in the film. Like, directors get a lot of credit for their movies. True. But there's so many people involved in a movie that makes it work. So it's kind there's of crazy the that cameraman. We, there's the cameraman. There's the boom mic guy. Best boy. There's the best boy. Grip. There's the grip. There's the gaffer. There's master Mr. November. Master, Mr. November. master electrician. There's master of ceremonies. All these people make a movie work. That's right. And while the director is the one that sort of focuses everybody to make his vision, there's a lot of collaboration. And I think 
a new hope is like the the clearest proof that when George Lucas collaborates with the people he has, he can make a really excellent movie. And that's my that's my take on George oh. Lucas. Should we end every sentence happy t- with that's my take? That's my happy, Absolutely. that's my positive okay. take on George Lucas. Good. I approve. All right. Now, I say. That's what I call music. Oh, John's. <laughs> Here, <laughs> give me your take on George Lucas. Your reasonable take. My reasonable take. So you have to turn it down a couple notches, probably. That's my character on this show. <laughs> well, my take on George Lucas is that he was a filmmaker who created a franchise that captivated the mind of a generation who just happened to be kind of eaten up in like the initial storm of like the angry internet and the prequels were kind of like the genesis of people saying that the sega genesis 32 bit correct sure (laughs) 3d sega cd sega saturn Sega Dreamcast. Then they got done with making consoles. I'm glad you went on this tangent. Thanks, buddy. Anyway, he was kind of like the the, the the first casualty of, like, we need to be mad at something. And so he seems like a good target because he kind of talks out of both sides of his mouth. And we can latch on to a lot of what he says. You know what I've noticed is that anytime I talk, I use both sides of my mouth as well as the middle of it. Huh. So there's three sides of your mouth. Three sides of every Left, story. Left, right, middle. That's right. Left, right, middle. Hike. <laughs> Continue <laughs> your story. Okay, so he uh, he kind of, ta- once again, talks out of both sides of his mouth and the middle, too. And he kind of puts himself out there because he set himself up as, like, the lone creator of the, the prequel trilogy. So he's just kind of like the the best example, I think, in modern culture of death of the author was George Lucas. And so he's become another a victim. I think the best of death of, of the author was Edgar Allan Poe. Like, he died and, you know. Well, George is still alive, though, so that's what really blows my mind. Well, he's not dead. I don't understand what you're Edgar saying. Edgar Allan Poe? That should be the life of the author. George Lucas, he's alive. Did you know Charles Dickens was paid by the word? Oh, God. <laughs> he died. Long time ago, in a galaxy not too far away, buddy. Because it was right here, right on, here Earth. on a little planet called Earth. <laughs> Guys, the thing is, my take on George Lucas is he was just kind of like a, a victim of that. And he brought a lot of it on himself by stuff that he said. But he's just kind of like, once again, that pop culture shorthand of someone that we can easily throw stones at. and But he's kind of gone from the public eye now by choice. And so... But there's still that residue of, I need to bring up somebody who had too much creative control in a movie. Oh, here's George Lucas, because he's the most out there. He is still a meme, kind of. Yeah. People bring up, like, oh, you mean, like, George Lucas? Mm-hmm. When you talk about, like, a director with uh, white hair. Like, oh, you mean, like, George Lucas? And it's like, hey, man. Would you, you like to give a lukewarm take, even though you're hosting? I'll give you a lukewarm take. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I really appreciate George Lucas as a... Um, as like a visionary and an ideas man. And I think that he is a really good, uh, in his best moments, just a great curator of talent. Because that's what, as Riley said, most directing is, is finding the right collaborators. And I think that despite what many people like to say about him, 
he is an incredibly collaborative person. Um, if you watch any of the documentaries or read any of the books about Star Wars being made, he loves collaborating. He set up Lucasfilm to be a place for filmmakers to collaborate on projects. Uh, and I think in his weakest moments, it's because probably he didn't have the right collaborator veering his direction in the right way. Uh, but I think that he's an incredibly talented, like, visual stylist. I know people on this table, his name is Riley, will maybe disagree with that. But he is a master of creating a very specific tone that is like... I thought you were going to say he was a master of creating Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> he's a master of creating a very specific movie called Star Wars. Um, a but movie really, that changed the world. A movie in 1977. A lot of people don't talk about this. A visual tone that changed the world. <laughs> a tone poem, as George Lucas <laughs> likes to say. He, um... Montage. Montage poem. I, I, I do think that George Lucas knows how to create a very specific mood and tone using visual music and cinematography which is i guess it's described every director <laughs> but some people are better at it than others and i think george lucas is an incredibly notable one lukewarm takes from three white people at a table is it fair to say that especially on the prequels george was still good at collaboration but he was just bad at the collaboration that people seem to notice a lot because you still had ben burton john williams there so you still had like these incredible talents that were like and that he gave like total like he wasn't in the sound room. He wasn't in like the orchestra room, like specifically directing stuff. Like that was still kind of like Ben's domain he, and old Johnny's domain. He still had like Rick McCallum's around him, though, which is where I think his downfall was. Should he, we like blame Rick McCallum for a lot of it? George? Yeah, probably because he didn't. Yeah. I don't think he ever told jo Joe, <laughs> Joe Lucas, old Joey Lucas. He never told the real George, director. No. I don't think you. I, I just right. get that feeling from watching the behind-the-scenes stuff that Rick McCallum has never said no in his life to George Lucas. Yeah, it's probably yeah. true. I because mean, going back to those those darn prequel uh, behind-the-scenes DVDs, uh, stuff I like to talk about. I hate to love them. I I hate I to know to hate them. them. <laughs> I have no feelings on them. I love to love all you guys. There still were a lot of hands in the cookie jar, but once again, it, it's almost like if someone has an amazing house. But, like, instead of putting siding on it, they have, like, the Tyvek wrap on the outside. It's, like, something that you're really going to notice. Like, the house Where you is... get, like, a weird stained glass window in your house. Yeah, and then your wife sleeps with it. <laughs> <laughs> huh? We're going to talk about stained glass later. <laughs> I get That was a great, good a segue as any. Riley, you really want to talk about Marsha Lucas? I want to talk about Marsha Lucas. We should call this episode Marsha Lucas. I want to talk about Marsha Lucas in the context of A New Hope specifically. Okay. Go for it, buddy. Because she was his wife. I don't know why I'm being so like... Who? I know. Oh, no, this, this is, guy. This is all things that have been said before. Very few of these thoughts are my own thoughts that I had in the middle of the night. So you can't sue us. You can't sue us. Um, A woman named Sue can listen to our podcast, though. She's more than welcome. She more can sue welcome. us. <laughs> she sue every day of her life. That's right. She can't help it, certainly. So she was his. She he had three editors, I think, on A New Hope. But she was she was one of the main ones. She did a lot of work. I'm pretty sure she redid the trench run from the rough cut of the film. Um, the the rough cut was if it had been released in that shape, it would not have been a hit, and we probably wouldn't have gotten Empire and 
any other Star Wars. It'd probably be like one of those cult films from a long time ago. In a galaxy far, far, far away. away. Uh, Buddy. <laughs> what are the chances that you two would think to say that at the same time? <laughs> it's, it's Not amazing. high, buddy. <laughs> it's maybe a Star Wars podcast, but life ain't always all pew-pews and starships and sabers. It is said that movies are written three times. When you get the script, when, when you film you it, use a pen, and you use a pencil, <laughs> and when you show it to your parents. When you write the script... <laughs> when you use a pencil, when you film the scenes, and when, when you, you edit, your and when you edit the film. So I did a little research, and Ooh. the reason people say that Star Wars, why it won the Oscar for editing, and why that movie was saved by editing, it's it's pretty clear. George, if, look at if you look at the if you look at the rough cut of the film. There are some things that are just so different. There's there's big glaring issues that would have made the film worse and then there's lots of small things that helped with the pacing that made it such an exciting movie from start to finish i'm not going to talk about everything because there are videos out there you can find and books you can find there's specifically one by rocket jump on youtube go look it up it's really good that talks about the isn't that the cars playing soccer game (laughs) yes that's rocket league (laughs) okay so one big thing the rough cut of a new hope was the trench run you had Gold Leader go in for his attack. You had Red Leader go in for his attack. They both failed. Then you had Luke go in for an attack and fail. And then you had Luke go in a fourth time and succeed and blow up the Death Star. Right. So that's just like a small pacing thing that it's more exciting that Luke succeeded on his first try. You know, he had the Force with him. They, all that stuff was kind of added in 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 post and with um, reshoots. They did do some reshoots. Reshoots, on, rescores on uh, on A New Hope. But the biggest thing that they did with editing in the trench run is that the Death Star was not about to destroy the base on Yavin. If you watch the movie, there's not a single person on Yavin, Leia, none of those people mentioned that the Death Star is about to destroy the base. All those lines are done with off-screen dialogue, like the... um, he says the the Death Star will be in range within 15 minutes, and it like shows that shot. That's all stuff right. added in editing after the the filming had been completed. Uh huh. So that is an example of I've always wondered why people say editing is so not that it's so important to a movie, but you think well they have the script, they have everything written, and then you just edit it the way that the script says, and it looks fine. But you can you can completely change a movie in the editing process. So I think that's something. That was like the first thing Marsha Lucas did when she got in there. She changed the complete nature of that trench run to make it so suspenseful. And why it works so much more is because you have the danger of the the rebel base being destroyed in in the midst of of that whole thing. That's pretty cool. Now, how how <coughs> do we know this? By the way, you can find the rough cut on YouTube of the the original thing. How how do we know? I'm not like saying <laughs> this sounds like some conspiracy uh but how do we know that it was uh marcia that did that did she like talk about it in interviews yes stuff? she's talked about doing that i'd be interested to read interviews in, with interviews. her because I, I don't it's, think i have you really should she's yeah. a really smart person i like marcia i didn't Lucas think that she lot. wasn't no <laughs> i'm always saying she's that. a huge dummy that marcia <laughs> you should look up interviews with her because she's got a lot of neat things to say and she doesn't usually get very salty about being cut out which i'm going to talk about as well oh boy um but the other main thing I wrote down because there's 
the original cut of the movie in the beginning with the exciting fight was cut back and forth like when you had the stormtroopers coming on the Tanta V4 and you've got all that stuff happening it was intercut with scenes on Tatooine with Luke like your first introduction is Luke and you can find these deleted scenes on on YouTube right, as well. Right, of him going of, like, to Tashi looking Station. Up at the, yeah, going to Tashi Station, looking up at the fight that's happening uh, above. Like, your first introduction is he's got, like, binoculars, and he's, like, looking up at these explosions in the sky. Um, And it just really, watching that rough cut, it kind of, the tension just goes away from the, the exciting scene on the Tan V4. Right. Um, So she made, well, I don't know if that was her, but... The the three it was Paul Hirsch, Marsha Lucas, and Richard Chu are the three editors on the movie, um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that George's rough cut of the movie because he likes editing too, mm-hmm. and he he's says that that's his that's his bread and butter, it's his favorite thing to do. He feels the most in control when he's editing movie, mm-hmm. and his he rough... dominance over the movie. <laughs> his original rough cut maybe would have been a cult classic but it would not have been the the crazy thing that star wars turned out to be and the collaboration that he had with those three editors and specifically i think marcia there's a few other things i don't know how much we want to talk about it i might cut it out it might be too boring but the way that they edited um after the the intro cutting back and forth between what's happening on tatooine with the droids and what's happening on with the empire the way they they re-edited it is so smart because you go from the droids to the stormtroopers finding the droid parts back to the droids mm-hmm. is the way that it is now um and the way it was before you went straight into the scene where vader chokes the guy before you get the stormtroopers mm. so your first mention of the force is from vader talking about like the guy says this ancient religion oh. and blah, blah. they re-edited it so that Obi-Wan, you, you learn your, you get the description of the Force from Obi-Wan, which is the smart way to do it. And then you go to Vader talking about the Force, because he just says right. he fell to the dark side, he uses the dark side of the Force, he's evil. Yeah. Then we go to Vader choking a dude with the Force. And it's just little changes like that that really make the movie one of the best movies of all time, the movie that changed the world, 1977, Star Wars. <laughs> I want to talk about it. Talk so com. I think the main lesson that we get from that is that he let his editors do what they needed to do to make the movie a success. He found good editors. He happened to be married to a really great editor. They won an Oscar. They were recognized at what a great job they did with this movie. And George is at his best when he's truly collaborating like he i think he did in the early days i don't want to get into my hot takes later but i listeners will know i'm not as up on the prequels as the other two here you're not up table. on those preaks not and i feel like i've been talking forever i've got more to say about like listening Marcia. to episode right host wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> i've got more to say about Marsha, but we don't have to talk about it right now Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. yeah but like everything you said is fair that's and that's where i i come down on george a lot is that, like, I mean, it, it's almost like those decisions that he made, like, he assembled that editing team. I mean, so, oh, yeah. I mean, no. it's like it's a lot of what happened, like, because he admits to being a control freak who doesn't like to relinquish any creative control, like, once he gets it. So it's almost like he needs to purposely separate himself, and that's kind of what he did a lot of times on the original trilogy. Yeah. And then he made that effort 
for the Phantom Menace. Like, he shopped around the Phantom Menace to, like, Spielberg and Ron Howard and different guys like that, but nobody wanted it. I don't think anybody wanted the weight of a new Star Wars trilogy on their hands. He's like, well, I guess I'm doing this myself. And so it's almost like... I'll do this. I know what's going to happen, but I guess I'm going to do it. But it was but, totally different coming into like having a new director for The Force Awakens because it was like, well, maybe let's try seeing what happens if a, a different guy does it. But like yeah. that, the this the <laughs> the Phantom Hello. Menace. Hello, the Phantom Menace Hello. was the first time that Star Wars had been. <laughs> Hello. Hello. First time it had been revived. You say goodbye. I say hello. But I think the problem with that maybe is. It was his script. That's what everyone told him. I was like, hey, this is like your baby. And you, like, the last time you tried to do a Star Wars movie and you directed it, it and was it, Star Wars. You should do it. But I know, didn't you say, one of you said he tried to get Kasdan to do something with the Phantom He Menace. did. He did. He approached Kasdan for, the, and this is from Kasdan's he own mouth and all three sides of He should have tried harder or gotten someone else to look at those said, You will not didn't leave Carrie Fisher script Doctor some of the prequels? Are they, are they all uh, Carrie Fisher's yeah, fault? I don't know. I've never yes. heard that. It's all Yeah, she did. She's did talked she? about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's talked about it in interviews. I, I don't think she's ever talked specifically about what she added. I would imagine it was all the scenes where, like, Jar Jar steps in poop. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that was George. That seems this is a disgusting. I actually could see that being either way, but I, I don't know. <laughs> this seemed real Georgie to me. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's one of those things. That... Yeah, because, yeah, you know, like, the original trilogy has so much poop humor. His classic right. trademark on all the old films. He didn't write the original trilogy besides A New Hope. Which had a ton of poop in it, so we so, know it was him. Wall-to-wall poop. <laughs> but I think it's another thing that comes they were from all like a out. philosophical difference, or like just kind of what what's your taste? Because, well, George was specifically talking about how this is going to be a different type of movie, and I'm going for a different type of acting, I'm going for a different type of dialogue. Different. And a lot of the dialogue is... Like, it kind of fits in terms of, like, foreshadowing and speaking to larger things. It's more almost like a, a literary type of a dialogue a lot of times where, like, ooh, this means this. But it You're didn't talking exactly, about the prequels. Yeah. Yes. To where it didn't end up, like, maybe working as well for some people in terms of, like, how real people would actually talk. The thing that's interesting to me, um, and I say this, if, you, hey, if you're a new listener to Grandma Talking, you probably have... Stop this episode because you're like, this is so good. I'm going to go listen to everything so far. Exactly. Come welcome back. back in right. fact. Welcome back. <laughs> to the second half of our episode. That's right. That's a lie. We're uh, just getting started. But you know that I do love the prequels uh, quite a bit. I do have problems with them as we talked about. But it's interesting to me because... Have you talked to the prequels about those problems? Well, people always say they have problems with movies. And I always wonder if people really hash out the problems they have with the movies. Isn't it sad how we don't just talk to each other, us and the movies that we dislike? About the problems. About the about the problems. About the issues. And when people say, like, this didn't work in this movie, I always picture, like, a Rube Goldberg machine where, like, the carton of milk doesn't tip over. Like, they well, were shooting... You'd cry if it did. Overspilled milk. Dad. What are you talking about, Jake? You're hosting this mess. Oh, that's right. So I was talking about how Lucas talks about this in recent interviews, too, how his advice to all the new filmmakers was always don't forget the soap opera aspect of it don't forget that it is about like family drama but it's interesting to me when i watched the phantom menace in particular which is one of my favorite star wars movies that it did seem like he didn't do that hardly at all like that movie doesn't have any family drama well that's not true because i mean you have anakin's family drama that's some of the most interesting stuff is like, you know, well, him wanting to leave Jake home. Jake walks it back. That's right. Walking it back. The larger things of that movie kind of strayed away from 
those things and started to focus more on the larger theme. Because when you look at interviews with Lucas about, like, before A New Hope came out, <laughs> before A New Hope came out, before it came out, A New Hope came out? A New Hope came to doubt. Uh, and interviewers were trying to ask him, like, what is this movie you're working on? He'd be like, hey, it's kind of like a commentary on, like, these themes and this and that, but it's also like Flash Gordon. And these, but he was clearly had a lot of political themes in mind. And he would talk about it. But he really kept those things as subtext. And it was that's why those movies are so interpretive. Where the subtext came completely up to the forefront and the prequels became like very explicitly about the fragility of democracy and all of these sorts of things, and it lost track of the characters, which is why a movie like The Force Awakens can have a really light, light story that doesn't even really makes sense if you think too hard about it but the characters are so compelling that i've watched it 500 times like oh. a real star wars fan uh i think that's it so we're done with the episode exactly okay uh no but let's let's talk about the collaboration thing because it is important to note the importance of the collaborators on the original trilogy, in particular, Marsha Lucas, who I, I've read the making of Star Wars book, which makes me an expert How many in start a podcast. 500 times. No more, no less. <laughs> no more, no less. <laughs> no, I will not read it again. <laughs> Always 500 times there are. No more, no less. <laughs> That's right. In the words of Yoda Johnson. How much credit do you give? Cry we haven't done that in a while. We haven't done Crylet. How much Crylet does one I forgot give? about that one. Well, we're bringing it back. Uh, maybe a year later. Who knows when this comes Possibly. out? Possibly. I guess the question is, how much credit do you give, or Krylet, do you give the collaborators of a film, and how much credit do you give the director? Because there's kind of all these extremes that happen on the internet, one of which is George Lucas did everything, and he is a god who we should worship, um, and uh, anything good from Star Wars was from him, and Star Wars is terrible now that he's gone. Whereas more some people were like George Lucas is terrible he was the worst thing that ever happened to Star Wars he wasn't even really the thing that made it great you didn't even really need him around sometimes it's almost and, like he never even came up with the idea of Star Wars he came up with like the germ of an idea that people had to save from his sure greasy he said clutches. the word Star Wars once in the conversation yeah but really it was everybody else and then a group else. of 900 collaborators is everybody else trying to tell him in. to shut up and so we can make a good movie yeah. but then where there's us the best podcast in the world um, we're the Lucas Worm take that's right Good. You can tell the best podcast. We just made that joke. Um, I think he, I think he got the middle ground in the OT just right. Now Obi Wan got the high ground. He did. Talk about that. Okay. And I God. think he went both extremes in the prequels, where he didn't collaborate enough with certain people, and he gave other people too much to do. Like there, there are the stories of. Um, like the fight scene in Revenge of the Sith between Obi-Wan and Anakin. Hiya, slash. Yes, the the, Whiz bang. the final 15 minutes that audio of the was movie. from the movie actually. So, what he did with that scene is <clears throat> the stories are he said a fight happens here, Anakin and Obi-Wan fight. It's really emotional, blah blah blah. He didn't pl plan anything out. There were no storyboards for that section of the movie until there were. Didn't Spielberg direct that according to legend? I've never heard that. Not one. the fight. I heard he directed the Mustafar fight. I've never heard that. No, that's I've a real heard story that I heard myself. The one that I've heard is that his CGI team directed the Mustafar fight. 
Like he didn't he didn't have storyboards for that section of the fight or for a lot of it. He would say then they go out onto this part and they fight and then maybe uh-huh. they're on like these lava tra- tractors and, <laughs> and and they fight on that for a while. But it was, the lava but it was not it was not planned out and that's why that scene kind of feels video gamey because you just got a bunch you got a cgi team a bunch of people working on their little separate section of the fight the, the section on the bridge and the section on the lava tractors and that's <laughs> you know it's funny it just though, doesn't that, like there's not enough he's he didn't have enough input there riley hates video games he doesn't like video games don't play video games i like video games i just don't want to watch saying that i just don't want to watch someone play a video game too often. Ooh, ouch to everybody on what's YouTube. funny though is like it is all all we know is what we've been told and yeah. i could have sworn that it was what if i told I've you right that now was, that revenge of the sith was the greatest movie ever made buddy that's all you know for it. that's all you know now. the only account i have is yours that's right so if you were to believe that steven spielberg directed that and that scene really resonated with you then all of a sudden you're taking like an opposite stance of this is amazing because it was Steven Spielberg who directed the Mustafar fight. I don't care if it was Stanley Kubrick who directed that scene. It's not good. Is Stanley Kubrick better than Steven Spielberg? That's what people who don't like AI would tell you. Yeah. I hate people that hate AI by the mere fact that Kubrick didn't direct it and Spielberg did. Because that is a brilliant sci-fi movie. That's a great movie. And that was mostly Spielberg. Kubrick had some input in the beginning. But no, that right. movie is... St- like straight up Spielberg, and it's probably his best movie. I know. I'm it's, just gonna say it. It's up there with with me. It's I mean, like, well, I'm one of his best movie. movies, and then that one's up there too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know what the deal. That scene doesn't seem like Spielberg to me. What if it turned out it was? How would you feel? I think he did a bad job. Well, there you go. I think that's very possible from the trailers for Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Spielberg is untouchable. Ready Player One looks like garbage. Crystal it really S- looks like one of my least favorite movies ever Crystal made Crystal Skull already. was not a good movie. I think it was well-directed on his end, in general. But Okay. George Lucas know. is I, I a director that, we're talking about right now. I know. I think the ant scene in... Oh, that's pretty good. No, I think that could fit in Revenge of the Sith. Like, just, oh, like, I, I like the bad. answer. Oh, I don't like it. It's I kind of like it. Bad. Where I fall on Lucas and what we're talking about in this moment is a sports analogy that I will now make with my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Is that sometimes? Hey, by in... the way, before you start, okay, you keep on not inserting the sports music underneath these sports analogies, and it's kind of a bummer. I'm sorry. Okay, my apology accepted. Isaac, you know what, Riley? Just for that, news gun ray. My lord, is that good? No need to report that. <laughs> he also hasn't been doing that, but he probably <laughs> won't do it. Anyway, so the thing with Lucas is in American football sometimes you have the position of quarterback and it's the most important position on the field. Now, he's the guy with all the money and somebody is like, hey, I got a dollar. I need four quarters back. He's like, yeah. I gotcha. He's the one who has one football in one hand and money in the other. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And so at the end of a football game, typically a quarterback, if a team wins the game, he'll get too much credit. And when the team loses Probably. the game, he will get not he'll get too much blame. For losing too mm-hmm. much cryolite too much blame yeah and so i think it was the same deal i think it's a, a, a tendency we have as humans to whoever is in charge of anything they're going to get the bulk of the praise or the blame depending on how it goes and so 
Yeah, that's, that's where fair. George fell. And he, once again, he's just such a visible figure. Like, it's, there's not a lot of film franchises where even, like, with, with Lord of the Rings, like, there's maybe franchises like that where you think Peter Jackson pretty soon after you think Lord of the Rings. But it's not, like, for the average person. Like, who directed the first Spider-Man trilogy? Like, I don't know if as Sam many... Sam Raimi. I don't know if as many people are going to think to <laughs> themselves Sam Raimi. And That's ma- not true. Yeah, I think that gets thrown out there a lot. Yeah. Do you think if you, go to tar- if you go to Target right now and you ask every person there who directed the first Spider-Man trilogy? No, you got a point there. But if you ask oh, everyone... Oh, you know, you're saying he's not his household of a name. No, like, George if you're Lucas. like, who's the Star Wars guy? Oh, people at least know that George Lucas was the Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty so, unique case. Yeah, so he is kind of like almost the foremost example of, like, the creator is synonymous with the work. Yeah, I'd say Spielberg's probably the only one close to that situation with things like Indiana yeah. Jones or whatever. And like, even with Spielberg, he has such a large catalog where you, yeah. can, you can maybe lose track of what he did, but George Lucas is Star Wars. I mean, obviously Kubrick should have done AI. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you going to do? But with, with Lucas, I mean, the only significance of like graffiti and THX are the fact that Fix is, is they called. are Lucas movies that weren't <laughs> Star Wars. I mean, so... Now, um, I agree with you. I, I, I think that the thing, though, with the prequels is that a lot of the blame can be put on him because he had full autonomy of those movies, and so he was the guy calling all the shots. There was, I mean, like, the CGI sometimes wasn't very good in some scenes. In general, it was pretty revolutionary and great, but nobody was complaining about that. People were complaining that the story wasn't good, that the characters weren't good, that the writing wasn't good, and I, you know have some agreements and some disagreements with that but i think it's it's different to me when um a guy like steven spielberg directs a movie like ready player one which i haven't seen and i'm gonna be that guy on the internet who hates it already i'm not gonna see it i don't want to see it i that story just bums me out it looks like a complete cash grab and an excuse to throw a bunch of warner brothers crap into one movie then again i felt that way about the lego movie and it was one of the best animated movies of all time ready player one does not look like that. different but i'm not going to blame spielberg for having to adapt uh that crappy book you know there are other you can blame the script you can blame a lot of different things the source material and maybe he'll do a great maybe it'll be a really well directed movie that just doesn't resonate i think a, i think a big difference between just about every director and George Lucas is that most directors don't try to write their own stuff. I don't. Well, I guess most directors don't. Most but directors, the, there are most there of are the ones, ones who out there do are like are notoriously good, good writers. Yeah, like, you got your um, Nolan's Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan's <laughs> um, Quentin Tarantino, his, his dude who did like Ex Machina and stuff. He was, he was uh, Cinema Sins. I can't remember Bing. his name. Cinema Sins. <laughs> no, no, not Cinema Sins. Cinema Sins. Cinnamon Cinnamon Sticks. Um, Cinnamon Sticks. I'm done. But because he, he, on the prequels, it was, everyone knew that he wrote and directed. I think he gets a lot of the blame. If you have a well-directed movie like Ready Player One, it's probably going to be directed well. Spielberg's It a looks visually pretty cool. But his source material is such junk mm-hmm. that I don't think it can be a good movie. So... He's going to take some blame for it being a bad movie, but people are also going to say, well, but, you know, look at, look at what he was working with. And with the situation that George put himself in, he gave himself the stuff he was working with, 
and for a lot of people it turned out to be not good so yeah ultimately what's just like kind of bums me out is like the fact that all this happened but it was just kind of like this this mob mentality of all these people who didn't like the prequels and they needed to blame somebody and so it's like he he well, kind of nobody else to, yeah it kind exactly of goes to like, him it's he he put himself in that situation he put himself in the situation well, i don't know you, you, you can blame hayden christensen for a little bit you can blame <laughs> rick mccallum but again see with christensen you know you've seen the videos lucas is so involved in the hiring yes. process for actors so yes. so True. many of that of the prequel stuff was his choice and i just don't think you can separate that no matter how you feel about the prequels they live and die with george lucas because he was he was the dude in those just the fact that like okay so he is to blame that didn't mean people had to be jerks about it no you're absolutely right and that's he he's gotten so much crap for those movies that's my biggest way more than he deserves when it becomes like harassment and death threats and stuff when you get the people versus george lucas yeah. The documentary that came out, which is just the biggest. I'm a I'm a notorious prequel hater. I don't like them. Phantom Menace is all right. I hate Revenge of the. Sith. I just don't like them. But Can that doesn't I... mean I dislike George Lucas. He seems like an okay dude. He just didn't make. He made three movies that I don't like. Can I bring up? That's a where it should end. Fact. And are we further facts on this podcast? And furthermore, no, I have nothing else to say. I just wanted to keep talking and <laughs> interrupting know. you. Um, so he did have people help out on the scripts for Attack of the Clones. Yeah. And Revenge of the Sith. Which people? Well, that's what I was looking to find out. Um, because I remember <laughs> that he heard the criticism from the Phantom Menace. And obviously he did try to ask his old buddy Lawrence K for some help. And he was like, screw you. You only made my career. I'm going to go write some weird what movie. What was the whole deal with like Lawrence Kasdan like, insisting on not being part of the prequels? He, it was like super late in the game. I think they were already starting production on the movie, mm. and I think he was working on something else. But I still feel like if it was Star Wars, I would take a look at it and yeah. think, hey, maybe I'll, maybe I'll take a glimpse at the you guy's least, script who gave me my entire career. At least humor him and like, make some like red pen marks on the first five pages. And, and, that's, the, and that's the thing. Like George Lucas picked... Lawrence Kasdan yeah. to write Empire, Return of the Jedi, a young, Raiders, young Lawrence Kasdan at that. Yeah, yeah. Little, little guy. Okay, he had a he had a good eye for talent back then. Exactly. So he also hired Harrison Ford, right? Who everyone knows he added the line "I know" instead of "I love you" in mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. So everyone that he surrounded himself with in the old days added to the collaboration process and did a good job. And Okay, adding to that, though, I guess before I get into this fact, hashtag, Mm -hmm. um, is that, and I think we mentioned this in the prequel episodes, that I don't think that he cast, there was a difference in casting these young, unknown actors back when he directed Star Wars, because although American Graffiti was a big movie, it would have been like, you know, being cast in The Amazing Spider-Man after 500 Days of Summer came out. Like, yeah, it was a pretty big movie, but and it was a big property that was being made, but you'd probably feel okay improvising on set. You don't know who Mark yeah. Webb is. Nobody does anymore, because right. he directed Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> and it's different now for these young, unknown actors coming into the prequel trilogy, because you're working with like this legendary director who created the biggest franchise in the history of the world. So, whereas people would goof around on set and mess with their lines and change their lines to feel more natural in their mouths on the original trilogy they probably were like 
I want to do that kind of stuff on this humongous movie. And it's I'm funny sh- you mentioned that on because on Empire <laughs> Dreams, that documentary about making of, or it's like the whole entire original trilogy, basically. They have like on set footage of A New Hope where the whole entire cast is just like yucking it up. Yeah. And like George is visibly angry at them because like they don't respect like this new guy, whatever. Like well, they feel comfortable doing but that. But he would also be like, yeah, okay, try it like that. That's fine. Like he would always say, I'll let them try it their way first and we'll see how it goes. Fix it in editing. But. Right. No, no, seriously, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. that's his theory, you know, yeah, exactly, yeah, get yeah. what you can and mm-hmm. make the film and editing. But I think of, there were so many factors, and I think one of them is probably age, because when he's doing A New Hope, he's kind of the same age as everyone there. He, I don't know, that's Harrison, true, Harrison yeah. Ford is he older than him, I think. Right. I think. And then you got yeah. Hayden Christensen, who's, what, like 19, 20, I don't know right. how old he is then. It, with George, like you with, said, this legend, George. George Lucas, who is so much older than him, who's done all this Can stuff. Papa George. So <laughs> the screenwriter for Attack of the Clones is a man with no picture on IMDb. Good start. He's born, holy cow. He's born in 1937. Great finish. So you know he's going to do a great job in a modern blockbuster. His name is Ageism John- is one of Jake Strong's suits. <laughs> Jonathan Hales is this guy's name. Jonathan Hales. From legendary, from well, let me... sounds like we're reading a listener letter. Like that's what that like. Who is Jonathan this? Hales? Jonathan Hales in the building. Old two time John. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. Oh, well, here's how he knows him. Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Oh. He wrote some episodes of that. That's who I want to make my block. Have you guys ever film. watched that show? Because I well, haven't. I yeah, think it's I pretty saw, bad. I saw some I've... episodes. It's not great. So he wrote his film career goes as such. 2002, The Scorpion King. <laughs> Tales of the Wild. TV show from the 90s. Dallas, one episode. Dempsey and Makepeace, two episodes. Partners in Crime. High Road to China, Armchair Thriller. Loophole, The Mirror Cracked. And uh, a movie called Kids, 1979. I think, changed the world. I think maybe his eye for talent was just not quite as laser focused as it was That's in the 70s. kind of what I'm thinking. He's like, hey, well, I'm just going to hire my friend except in the art department right like he clearly still but he has used a, a lot of the same people from the art department he did but he also had like Don't a chain. lot of yeah. yeah young people who were like really prolific yeah. and cool True. and Dave Filoni but that's because you know but I ILM kept going that's the entire the, time that's the thing like I he was still doing that game of course he was going to use John Williams, so of course the music was going to be good because you have to use John Williams. Well, of, course, of course he was going to use Ben Burt because he used him on all the other movies. So like the sound maestro, the the great things from the prequels are from the people that he had used in the OT. And when it came to finding new talent, whether it was ghostwriting the script or <laughs> uh huh, what's up, buddy? Like ghost writing the whip, but I, just, I feel you. I feel you. Ghost writing the script. Um, <laughs> I, the script. I guess. I guess revenge of the uh, ghost write the script. Revenge of the I Sith. I, I thought it had a different writer or like associated with it, but I guess it didn't. I don't. I'm the uh, I forgot what point I was making because of ghost writing the script. <laughs> Can I say something? Can I just talk a little bit? You guys are gonna hate I me. Implore you. I want to talk about the special editions just a little. Oh yeah, bit. let's talk about the special editions. Because I've said it several times on the show, and it's like my favorite thing to talk about with the special editions. But when they were I they were yourself, they were re-edited for adding in all the new scenes and all all kinds of stuff like that. There's there's yes. even little spots in um 
I watched a comparison 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 video of Star Wars Explained. Empire, mm-hmm. yes. Of Empire, the special edition and the non That was pretty close. It's pretty close. It's it's pretty close. He didn't do a whole lot to Empire. But there are certain like there's a scene where it hangs on a snow speeder for literally one second longer in the special edition than it did in the other one. And I'm thinking, what what is the point of that? Why re-edit that scene so that the only thing that's changed is it's that holding is weird. It, it's it's weird. Well, if you look in the credits for the special edition, his ex wife, Marsha Lucas, is no longer the editor. So every copy of Star Wars, all three original movies that has been sold since 1997, has given her zero dollars. She's not made any money from residuals uh, since 1997. Ouchies. And that, to me, seems like... A bitter divorce guy? That one's gotta hurt. That one's gotta hurt. I don't care what galaxy you're from. That's gotta hurt. <laughs> great line from a great movie. <laughs> but, so that, I think, is a little significant... Um, that the the re-edits on the special editions and, and also there's so much it's been said a million times I know but there's so much unnecessary stuff added in yes. Um, I didn't talk about it earlier but A New Hope when they edit the Jabba scene in that was something they specifically wanted to get well, rid of because I mentioned was... this on the original trilogy episode what did you say? I don't remember. I mentioned that they cut that scene because they didn't like it, and when they did reshoots, they did the Greedo scene. Yeah, they, sheen. Sheen. they <laughs> added said. the subtitles in for Greedo so that he said all that all exposition. All the stuff Jabba says, so now you're yeah. getting it twice. You're getting it twice, and, and it doesn't make sense. Right, so I don't, yeah, I don't like that change. Either. So there's things like that where I just feel like this is around the same time where I think he lost his eye for talent when it comes to he getting... Literally, like, a part of his brain Yeah, I think got, it's gone. Like, pinched or something. I think he sneezed it out. I think he, he sneezed, sneezed it out. Part of his brain. Um, Excuse me. There's my George. But I also think he. As a callback to Mario Golf, you can taunt people by pressing buttons, and one of them is Mario going, Achoo! Excuse me. <laughs> and it's really funny. Achoo! Excuse me. He seems like a perfectionist, and he, won- he wanted to do his original vision, and it takes a special kind of person, a certain kind of person, a certain point of view to want to go back and change a 20 year old movie and add things like the Java scene in. I, I just don't, I don't get that part of George Lucas and all, well, all the, I don't get it. Here's, I, don't I understand. And the, the wording you use, I don't get it. I think is appropriate because I think George is just a different kind of guy. And I think we expect him to react to things the way most people would. And I think he's just kind of, like you, you meet these kind of people every so often, where their brain just kind of is like a tick off from most like they people. They sneezed out part of it. Like they sneezed out part of their brain, <laughs> and so the part of their brain that acts like most people do just isn't there. And he kind of has his own way of doing stuff, and it's not really helped by being like an isolated rich guy for years and years, who doesn't, who all <laughs> right. of a sudden reaches a point when, when you reach that point in your your career where you're not told no anymore, and you're also kind of a different guy. I think he was always a different guy, and so reaching that stature didn't help things. It's like the reason why all comedians who reach a certain level uh, lose their touch after a certain point. Because you once you lose the ability to sympathize with the everyman, you become just a complete weirdo who doesn't have any real perspective on what actual people are like. Kind of like yeah. how Seinfeld can only do like a Seinfeld special now. Like that's his old bits. Yes. Yeah. 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 Which I watched. 
And was it, it okay? Was, well, it was good because it was his old material. Yeah. And it's good material. That's good material! <laughs> What's the deal with good material? <laughs> I think what irritates me the most about it is... Oh, I have something to say on this special edition thing. Yeah, no, I'm still talking about it. <laughs> but I do too. <laughs> okay. But I want to talk about it. Okay, cool. But Jake wants to talk about it too. There are plenty of di- director's edition... What am I, is that Director's the right editions? thing? Director's cuts. Director's cuts. That's oh, what I'm looking just for. Just look at your Watchmen DVD. <laughs> yeah. There are plenty of director's cuts that I think are a thousand times better than what the studio made them do. But you can still go out oh. and buy the studio version if you want. I and, know, right? And George made it impossible to, to watch the original versions of those movies. And I think that is petty in the same way that cutting your ex-wife out of making residual money is petty. He's a petty guy, and I think that's really clear from yeah. any interview you've ever watched from him from like any yeah. era. Like back yeah. in the 70s, he's always been really full of himself. Mm-hmm. And he's always known that he was really talented yeah. and thought that he was really great, and he's always just had an arrogant attitude. He's never been a real down-to-earth guy, and that's I don't say that because I hate George. I, I love George Lucas. I want him to be my best friend, and I want to marry him in real life. The fact, Tina, I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. <laughs> the fact that I have to watch... If I want to watch Star Wars in HD, I have to to get like a fan version of it. No, well, I have to see Hayden Christensen pretty much. Like if I want Blu-ray quality, close your eyes. Do you have the Despecialized Riley on hand? Yes. Okay, I do. Oh, I do too. They're pretty much the only ones I watch. I think I might have lost the USB stick that had them. But boy, I like to watch them. Um, now, I guess that's what I was going to say is that there are many director's cuts that are vastly superior, and like George Lucas is best friend Steven Spielberg did that with Close Encounters which is now the definitive version of the movie and I don't think you can get the original version anywhere to be honest with you I think that Spielberg did the same thing with that because well I think that's also dumb the one that came no you don't want to see the original one that's fine maybe for historical context that's fine but but I think it should be available I'm with you I'm with you but I think that like him and his friends like Ridley Scott did the same thing with Blade Runner and so by the time that the 90s rolled around director's cuts even the ones that his friends had done were very popular. And I think he probably thought to himself, well, what they said was that they, they wanted to kind of get Star Wars back into the public consciousness again in the way that it was because they wanted to release new movies. But his entire generation had passed so that there were kids who had you know not grown up with Star Wars. We're putting the theaters again. How do we make it worthwhile? We'll add in some extra things. I'll put in those scenes that we cut a long time ago and I'll get to... You know, he really does talk about, oh, this, this little thing always bothered me. I always didn't feel like R2 was really hiding back there. It was like things that nobody would think that about. That shows other like than a lack director. of understanding of why your movie was a hit, though. Well, yeah. But I also understand that if you're a petty person who has the power to do something, you'd be like, well, yeah, I can do it. Why wouldn't I just do it? Who will really care? And I don't think that people thought that they would care until they saw it and realized that they did. Like, it's just. It's like the Ian Malcolm line. Or you, you you could and you never stop to ask yourself if you, if should. you should. That was yeah. exactly the line from the movie. That's and it. probably from whatever next Colin Trevor. Did you see he's in the new trailer? Pile of trash. I did see that. That trailer looked like it. a movie that's going to come out. I didn't watch it. It looks like a movie with dinosaurs. Is Colin Trevorrow no. in the morning? Okay. It's J.A. Bayonetta. Bayonetta. It's something like that. It's like J.A. Bayonetta or something. Jaw Bananas? Jaw Bananas. <laughs> J.A. Donde from ESPN? <laughs> Donde esta la biblioteca. Donde esta la biblioteca. Um, I, so I, I think that George Lucas' reasoning was probably like, well, I could do like a cool like director's cut of mm-hmm. Star Wars. 
who cares, right? And I don't, I don't, I really don't think. Do I think that part of it, maybe even subconsciously, was a Marshall Lucas thing? Probably, yeah. Yeah. But I do think that his motives weren't like, screw everybody, I'm going to do my version of it. I think it probably was like, it would be cool to add these scenes back in now that we can. And it would be a way for us to test this new technology on a thing that already exists in like a really specific context as opposed to like, doing a test on like creating a whole new world out of nothing that would cost a lot of money but if we just add some stuff to an existing scene we can try out our new cg for like a relatively mm-hmm. short amount of money to short me, money <laughs> a lot of his moves have always been like a benevolent version of i don't care if you care like i yeah think, i think he makes all his, i don't i think he doesn't really even think about what the reaction is going to be i think he is just kind of up in his literal like mansion not thinking about i think that's a bummer yeah, I I do feel the same way about like not being able to get the original version of the stuff just because I feel as a fan of history. I love history. Love everything that's ever happened. It's great. You should go out and buy it and support Disney Lucasfilm. I I think you should be able to get the original. Yes, and that that is petty. That's petty. I but I also have difficulty with that thing of like if you are the creator of something, how much control should you have over your own work because. If it is a thing that's really personal to you, like Star Wars is, and you feel like, I want to do this thing with the thing that I created, I think you should be allowed to do it. But where does that power stop? And I don't really know the answer to that, because it really isn't like people can't get the original versions. The people who really want them can. But you can't. But I can't do it legally. But Lucasfilm hasn't taken any steps to stop that stuff. No, they haven't. They know what's up. Yeah. And I think that... As long as they don't start... It is so I think they have taken the stance of like this guy's never going to make a dime off this, and he knows that, and we know that. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. that's true. And yeah, he's never going to try and make money, which is fair because they have talked to people at Lucasfilm about the specialized editions, like on celebration panels, are like, yeah, I've seen. Them. I think it's an amazing fan recreation. It's pretty cool. I'm not going to say anything more than that. It is kind of treated They're... like all the other fan edits, which have always kind of been encouraged by Lucasfilm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it really. It's a shame that. I guess, are they just not releasing it out of respect to George at this point, do you think? I don't know. I think that's got to be all it is. I think the second that guy is dead, like, literally, they're going to have, like, a stopwatch on, like, one hand on his pulse, and they'll be like... You think? As soon as they call Time of Death, they're like, special editions are gone. It's also been I don't think they to... care that much about George <laughs> It's anymore. also been pointed out... I think they care a little bit. ...that, like... I don't think we, they care enough about we how We might be overestimating the market for... Like these, these specialized, like the people well, who want it generally have it already. That's true. Like the, it's the, almost like the principle of it at this point that it should be in stores. There's almost no, there's no like plus side from a PR standpoint, like right now of doing it because there is this contingent of like George Lucas fans that would just like you just make them mad. You would make <laughs> actual George Lucas mad as a director, though. How do you feel? George Lucas holds up Riley. Like, a- as a when you watch A New Hope, mm-hmm. as a director, what do you feel like? I-, I guess it's tough because directing is so collaborative that it, once I found out about what cinematographers are, I became more confused as to what it was directors do. And that's me yeah. as, a, as a noob. Because everybody that was like, well, I think this guy's a really great like stylist. They were like, well, he used this cinematographer. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of 
Yeah, I and I and I wonder. I mean, you're kind of curating talent, and you are setting the mood on set, and you yeah. are. I mean, you are pushing the direction of the movie in a certain way, mandating that things be shot a certain way. The the thing about A New Hope, I think that movie is all about editing and the way how it was saved in editing. Because if you look at a lot of the scenes in A New Hope, a lot of them are like straight up lifted from Akira Kurosawa. Or other directors of the day who would film like the the 40s plane, like all the all the action scenes in space yeah, and everything. Yeah, I mean, he literally <clears throat> just lit- used yeah. World War II footage oh, and absolutely. just like spliced it in. The rough cut of the movie that I watched is just it's that footage, right? That's the in. that's the cut that he showed like Spielberg yeah. and all his buddies, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think he got better, and I think there are some really cool things in the prequels some really well shot moments. Yeah. Um I don't think that I would put him among like my top 10 20 best directors when it comes to those shots cuz I think there are plenty of people who do it better, but A New Hope I don't think you can really say is all him. Well, you can't say that about any movie. No, you can't. I mean that's kind of the thing that I have trouble pinpointing is why is it that we give Lucas such a harder time for this great movie that he directed mm-hmm. and try to take it away from him? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you have to acknowledge all the collaborators, but why is nobody looking at like Jaws and saying, uh, okay, but why aren't we talking about the editor? And why are we talking about the guy who made that robot shark? That's one of my biggest <laughs> problems. Like, That's almost one of the biggest reasons I was wanting to do this episode because I wanted to have a discussion like this because it is one of those stupid things where anytime a debate happens, like if you want to argue against something, then you have to take credit away from whoever is being propped up. And if you want to argue for something, you have to supply all the credit to the thing that you're trying to prop up. So it's always just kind of like you have to build up or tear down based on your opinion of whoever the the subject happens to be. And in this case, it's George. And I, so, think, I think the fact of the matter is that there's no director that I'm going to give you a bad script, I'm going to give you bad actors, and I'm going to give you like a weird storyline. And the movie is still great because it's just so well directed. That doesn't really happen too much. I feel like with George, he doesn't have a super distinct style. I remember I you know, talked about this a long time that. ago. I don't know about that. I, I think, think that there's a very there's a very distinct difference between the old movies, and I'm including the prequels in this, and the new movies. Like, mm-hmm. there is a modernness to yeah. these new movies that is really different. I do feel like there's a, there's a silent noise under oh, Star Wars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like... That it, I can feel. It, it is a... It's like an energy or something like that. It's like morphic resonance, this thing I had to learn about by some crackpot teacher I had in school, which is like the thing that like lets you know that you, wow, that's how your dog knows that you're coming home or something like that. It was the weirdest thing. I've always remembered that really weird term, but when, we can cut that out. When I think about Spielberg, he has something which a lot of people have talked about. It's called the Spielberg Wonder, where it's one scene, you have people talking, it's usually around a minute, a minute and 30 seconds, mm-hmm. and it's just his style. It comes up you know, 20 times in a movie of his. Right. And if that's just his, that's his way of, of doing a conversation or something like that. Well, you have that. Lucas doesn't have, he does, he I does the he, shot reverse shot. I think with conversations, he treats those, you know, as straightforwardly as you can, because like when you read interviews with him from the original trilogy era, 
he always used the term with a new hope and i never understood this that he always that he shot a like documentary format Mm -hmm. well i think he means by that is that he did not want to draw any attention to the cinematography and make it like a crazy like cameras and stuff like a lot of like crazy like dutch angles and things like a lot of movies at the time that were trying to be fantastical were doing he wanted to just keep that stuff really straightforward and so all of this like craziness happening in the background doesn't seem crazy in context everyone's just acting like everything's normal yeah and the shots are just kind of like there um and that carries through to like empire which is a really good looking movie (laughs) but it's really kind of straightforwardly shot but there's a there's a beauty in that when everything that's happening in all of your shots is insane. Like you are right, where it's like that's one of the biggest differences with Force Awakens, where it does feel like a movie, which is a weird thing to say that Force <laughs> it, Awakens feels like a movie and well, Star Wars if, doesn't. But it feels like a blockbuster that happened in 2015. It feels like a summer blockbuster that really felt like Star Wars, in large part due to John Williams. I think I really think that like that. I don't know. Is the, I think that he's the glue to keep that they keeps the thing together. Almost man. like the oxygen of Star Wars. I wouldn't say when that. You, <laughs> but I, I mean, no. What, I, what do you think? What scene do you think of when you think of Force Awakens? I think of the scene where Ray pulls her lightsaber towards her, and mm-hmm. they play the John Williams theme from A New Hope. I think of Poe Dameron, the X-wings, the over one shot, the water of Takadana. I think of that one shot. Where you get Poe coming in and he kills like ten yeah. Tie Fighters all at once. Interesting. That's just the scene to me that sticks out in my mind when I think of the Force Awakens. Interesting. It's, it's such a interesting. I'm not shot. trying to take away from the yeah. Force Awakens. No, I, I know. I not. think we talked about it. Brian it might be him. the best directed uh, Star Wars movie so far. Mm-hmm. It's really great, but it is shot very differently. Yeah. And Ryan Johnson's talking about. He's like, I didn't try to capture the shooting style of the old movie. No, because it's a JJ movie. Right, Feels Ryan like Johnson is shooting it like a like a Ryan Johnson movie. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I just think... and I think that George Lucas, I I really do think as a director, what he's trying to create with everything he does is a very specific tone, because if that tone in Star Wars wasn't exactly right, it wouldn't have been Star Wars, mm-hmm. and that is what he was constantly going for was this really he specific. Just said Force Awakens feels like Star Wars. Oh, it does. It does. But I. It also very much feels like a modern blockbuster mm-hmm. in a way that the old movies really don't. Maybe it's like George shot the movies in it's a way to make them seem to make the surroundings like Jake kind of mentioned this. It's almost like you weren't supposed to think that this movie is a big deal, like what's going on, and that's what that's what kind of gave like the whole used lived in universe. <laughs> Like it's thing, like it's the characters. Nah, are... I don't buy that. That mo- it started blockbusters. Okay, this I'm and, wrong then. Well, no. this and Jaws, like they're they Riley, were the, Riley called me out on that. Yes, it they, they are. They are what started blockbusters. There was nothing like them before. And yeah, I think Star Wars is supposed to be exciting. I don't think he was trying to tone things down so you weren't excited during the trench run. No. I think we're talking no, about no, two no, different no, no, no. things. I'm not talking is... about that kind of stuff. You're talking about action, which I'm I think talking is... about the movie in general. No, stop it. <laughs> I, I think, I think when he shoots, a new action, hope is an exciting movie. You don't like it. You rated Start it like it your worst. I know. Version. I apologize for that. Well, I didn't listen to that episode because it was on. But <laughs> the, uh, I think when he shoots action, that's a whole different story, and he makes it as flashy as possible. But mm-hmm. when it is just people talking and running around through corridors, I do think that he shoots it as straightforwardly as possible because in the original trilogy, I think he wanted the intensity to come from the characters and the 
the pacing mm-hmm. and the music and it, it didn't nece- not necessarily from like oh we're gonna do this really cool like one shot where this guy is like running around all this stuff's happening he wanted to just shoot that kind of flat so that when something really crazy happened it would really stand out yeah I just think it's well, I know what you're saying I just think it's boring so you don't like New Hope is kind of a boring movie to you no really because New Hope is an action New Hope is an action movie there's lots <laughs> of action yes and but I think just because you want Attack of the Clones Attack of Clones. Attack of Clones. Attack of Clones is what it's called. Just because you want the focus to be you on the action piece. scenes, that doesn't mean that when Anakin and Padme are talking to each other, you have to make it and so just, boring. And we're only that watching just... the shadow that's on a wall. That was pretty boring. <laughs> no, you don't have to make it so that it's just shot, reverse and shot. And like her think... face is half covered in shadow for a lot of it until he says a certain line. I don't think having a wide shot of that. those two talking would detract from the action that follows it. I don't think no, changing I up know. the style a little bit would detract and make the rest of the movie seem less exciting because you have a wide shot of people talking. I don't think it's better or worse. I just think yeah. well, you're talking about him not having a style, and I think I think that the straightforwardness of what he's doing is, is intentional because he style, obviously does a lot of things that are pretty over-the-top and ridiculous. He does, but I think his conversation style in movies is very old. I'm going like, to tell you what I think. I think, I think that you it's... watch that every frame of painting video about shot-reverse-shot conversation. You think you know a lot about how a conversation I know everything now. that video told me. No, but it's but that's that's <laughs> a thing. I, I notice that in movies now. Yeah. It's a it's kind of a boring thing to do. You can make it it to me it makes it seem like you don't have to be as interested in the conversation parts of the movie as you do in the Cuz the director's parts. not really Cuz the director's in not as interested in Well, that, part that of the is movie. how I feel about Marvel movies. Yeah. To be honest no, with and you. you're not wrong. In large in large part with yeah, there's exceptions to that. But I I I watched um, Ant-Man again. Mm-hmm. Again. Ant-Man again. Ant-Man again. That's what they should call the sequel. Ant-Man again? Ant-Man again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Wasp. Um, the, because uh, Christina hadn't seen it, and I was like, oh, this, it was like really funny. It was good. And I rewatched it. I was like, this is like the most boringly it shot movie great. ever made. It's really average, and there's not a lot to really pick up on in subsequent viewings because it really was like, yeah, we're just going to like shot reverse shot this dialogue, and like, eh, I don't know. There's like an establishing shot of the building and they're inside the building and it's mm-hmm. like everything's really like kind of bright to make sure that like that movie is like so bright that it almost hurts my eyes. By the I way, I only saw it once in theaters. I don't really remember much about it. It's really forgettable. There's some yeah. really cool things about it, and anytime it tries to do something cool, it really works. Cool. I don't know. What I'm talking about Ant Man. I well, <laughs> the thing with me about Star Wars is I think it's hard for me to tell how distinct Star Wars is because it's so distinct for me in my life. Like I've seen those movies so That's much. True. It just it, it feels so different because it's been such like it's it's always been separated even from other movies for me. Like Star Wars has always been its own sort of entity for me. Like I, I don't count it as like a movie. Like it, it's it's its own separate deal. You know what I think I'd like to talk about is the fact that when I think of Star Wars, I tend to think of the like uh, frenetic pacing and like bantery back and forth dialogue and just the constant urgency in every scene everything's moving forward to a specific goal and yet like the prequels feel very star warsy to me but there's not a lot of that like there's not not in um there is a little bit but there's also scenes where everything stops and it's like we're just gonna hang out here for a while and talk about some politics and that's uh that doesn't happen a whole lot in the original stuff not really you get a lot of your exposition scenes you get a lot of your exposition and stuff when you're being chased by stormtroopers exactly yeah or in a firefight like it's and that's what's kind of the thing that 
distinguished Star Wars. Yeah. And that's why I think I was trying to defend Lucas's visual style is because the prequels are very recognizably Star Wars. Like, although they're really different from the original trilogy, I still totally get that Star Wars aura when I watch it because there's a certain something that's there that I can't quite pinpoint. And this is a bad podcast, but we're not articulating it's, it. Well, it's, it's really funny that... <laughs> I've always thought it's funny that when people have their own definition of what Star Wars is, I mean, I have mine too, but it is, we're, we're basing this off of a very small sample size. Like, for a lot of people, what Star Wars is, is a new hope and empire. And then and Return- nothing else. <laughs> it really is. Like, I, I know there, there are a segment of fans who, like, Return of the Jedi is, like, just right there with the prequels. Like, once the Ewoks came on the screen, they were just done. Because people can go with Star Wars. jump into an Ewok machine and yeah. just drive around. I, I, I like them. <laughs> and even a lot of people, I think, Empire Strikes Back specifically is what people think of when they think Star Wars, which is, uh, a, I mean, it's fine if that's your take, but it's just kind of funny that it's... But it's not fine with you. Well, what are you going to do? But it, it, it's like, <laughs> I, I can understand more if, like, the first three seasons of, like, Star Trek Deep Space Nine had a certain style to them and all of a sudden it changed because that's, like, 60 episodes plus that you have to work with, and so you're uh-huh. doing a lot more to establish a universe... But with Star Wars, you had the first three movies to establish a tone and a feel. And then the next three had a different tone and a feel. And so it is like, they're just different things. I don't know if one is necessarily superior to the other. I know for a lot of people, it definitely is that way. But I I see a head nod in my peripheral. (laughs) But it's just funny that like this vague noun of Star Wars can be all-encompassed by adjective such a small sample size. I can think the prequels feel like Star Wars and still think they're bad movies. Well, yeah, that's like, true. Like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to argue that they're... I, I could probably watch Phantom Menace right now and say every line. Like, it's a Star Wars movie. They have lightsabers. I enjoy the movie sometimes. But I but think it's very that possible. doesn't mean that it's good. It's almost like true. it's... It's not what Star Wars is, it's what you want Star Wars to be, Yeah, I think, for a lot know, of people. This is an uh, analogy that will actually not be helpful for anybody at this table. I'm sorry that I'm making Say it, it no. but you make sports now. Looking forward to it. So the Legend of Zelda series is... A video game? Considered by many to be like the greatest like franchise in gaming. Like Every game that comes out always gets like perfect tens in every publication, and then there's always this fan backlash that occurs every time. And then by the time the next game rolls out, everyone's like, why isn't it more like the last game? Um... <laughs> Because Zelda means different things to different people. Like, for some people, Skyward Sword was a really controversial game because it was really linear and story-based. But the dungeons were really cool, and the combat was really puzzle-based. was all about puzzles, like, everywhere all the time. But for a lot of people, Zelda is all about uh, open world and exploring, and, like, nothing is on your map. You just go and discover things full of secrets. And so those people didn't like Skyward Sword. But then Breath of the Wild came out, which was only all exploration there's almost no story to it and it was great and it got perfect ends everywhere but there was a contingent of fans that were like where's that like cool storyline that was happening in the last few games where's the storytelling where are the traditional dungeons and puzzles that i've liked Hmm. that game series is it it's so profound and it has meant so much to so many generations growing up that depending on who grew up with it and what game was their first zelda game it means something different to them. Like, for me, the first one I really got into was Wind Waker. And so any game that feels like that, even a little bit, I'm really into. Uh, and I think that the reason why there's some division in the Star Wars fandom is because there's a lot of people that grew up with the prequels that's like, that is what Star Wars is to me. And weirdly, the original trilogy doesn't resonate with them as much. I've talked to, like, 
kids that feel that way. It's kind of weird when they're like, the original trilogy is boring. And I think it's because yeah. they're stupid idiots with small brains who sneezed them out. Well, but <coughs> I, basically, I think that when it's something is so popular as Star Wars, we're, I guess we're talking, we're not even talking about George Lucas anymore, but he created something that means so much to so many people that people can have different interpretations of what makes it good or bad. Yeah, I I don't mind a different tone for Star Wars. I don't mind a weird movie. Give me a weird bounty hunters movie that like doesn't super feel it's like all one the Force Awakens or anything. It's all one shot. I, I'm fine with different and weird. It's just I think the different direction of the prequels is not as good as other Star I think, Wars. Like, it's, it's just a, it's it's all personal preference. It when is, it comes down but to it. I, I totally know what you mean. Like, like from an objective storytelling standpoint, <clears throat> it is not as good. It's not as tight. It's not as like forward moving. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there's a a lot of intentionality behind the choices that he was making that are brushed up. And like, if you defend them, you're like, well, you're just an insane <laughs> idiot. And I'm like, I I think that I'm allowed to think. That the guy who directed all these classic movies still had some level of intentionality behind him when he was directing the prequels. I think that was still there, even if the execution wasn't always spot on. Yeah, it also comes down to also just a specificity in language that people use. It's like it, it, it just grates on my nerves when someone says Star Wars is this. Yeah, when it would dumb. just it would when people say like Star Wars so much, is bananas, yes. not true. It's not that fruit. There's a bit, and <laughs> if you would, just... when people say Star Wars is a bit, no, it's not a bit. It's really annoying. A lot of people said like Star Wars is a lamp, and it's like <laughs> no, that's a thing that turns lights on. Lightsabers, maybe that's Star Wars. Now, Isaac, where do you hit on this? What were you going to say, Isaac? He pushed his microphone away <laughs> and sat back and looked up at the ceiling because he was so upset that his brilliant thought got interrupted. If you would simply put in, Star Wars is this to me, if you would just put Lamps. those two words after it. My goodness, Jacob Christ. <laughs> <laughs> just such a simple point I wanted to make. <laughs> That's a good point. It's a great point. Thanks, buddy. Star Wars really are lamps when you think about it. Sure. To me. You see? Star Wars are Timmy. All you got to do is say that. <laughs> and if people would just say that, and then lay off George a little bit. Are you one of those people that like complains when you read a review that's like, well, that's just your opinion. And it's like, okay, well, it's understood that when I'm speaking that it is my opinion. And I don't have to write that is my opinion every single time. Is that what you kind of person I sign all of my texts, that's just my opinion. <laughs> every single text. I'm like, this is just my I love opinion. It. <laughs> LOL, my opinion. <laughs> it's fine when you do that, but also there's just a way as a human being that you can word things. To make it sound like that perhaps your way of thinking is the superior way of thinking and that any dissension among the way you think should only be met with the utmost criticism of your own character. We live in a hot take culture. We don't really get into that too much. We don't get into hot takes too much, but that's just people are just dumb and they're just going to say this is my hot take. And if you disagree with me, you're stupid. Can I just say also that I'm hoping we get a little different direction in The Last Jedi than we've had before. Oh. By want... the way, by the time this has come out, Last Jedi has come out. Oh, yeah, so we're right. talking as uh, <laughs> past beings of ourselves. Oops. Here's my take on The Last Jedi so far. You can really tell it's a Ryan Johnson movie because people talk to each other in this movie. <laughs> what I want for The Last Jedi is I want a lot of... Um, when, whenever we cut to Luke and Rey, I want it to be kind of slower paced. I want them to 
talk about the force. I want to learn. And you want to end Luke every conversation like, like and now it's just my opinion of yes, the force. Yes, every conversation. No, I just want to know what Luke is like now. And I don't want, if I had to knock the Force Awakens for one thing, I would think that it's a little too frenetic, a little too nonstop. You don't have oh, oh you don't have time to breathe in the Force. Because Awakens. Can we get into Force Awakens revisited. I'm sorry, go ahead. Isaac. I was gonna say because that's what I think Star Wars was to JJ, and yeah. I think that really bled through yeah, what Star Wars was to him. But that's what's kind of cool is that now when these new directors come in, like I think Rogue One had a lot of prequel influence on it. Like it it was there was a lot of political subtext yeah. in that, movie. and they were interesting scenes. And there was yeah yeah, but like directors now can bring in what they think star wars into their films what star wars is into their film i don't know yeah. what i said um but i forget what i was gonna say well i i think the, the way you can do it though if you have it like slower paced i just want those scenes those scenes can still look interesting i don't think george's idea of having oh, super actiony scenes and then you cut to five minutes of a couple people talking i don't think that's a bad idea i think the movie is really served well by slowing down sometimes. That is what the New Hope did, by the way. I just heard a thing on my computer. Um, but, but a New Hope is like, hey, blasty, 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 ships flying by, and then hey, Uncle Obi Wan, you know, tell me about some right. lightsabers. Yeah, and I think you can do that well. The prequels were kind of boring when they slowed down, and I don't think he cared a about a lot it as of much. people disagree. At least two. At least two. And I think Ryan Johnson can make the scenes with Luke and Ray interesting if they're slowed down. I'm with you. I, we've already I just, seen it, of course, by this point. We've already seen it. But I I'm hope sure like everything that. I, came, I said came true. I hope no, the movie just, we saw was like the way we hope it is. <laughs> That's my greatest hope. I don't hope. know. I just think you can make the slower scenes more movie, interesting. Episode 9 should be called The Greatest Hope that ever lived. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about George Lucas. I think that he um, – that Charlie Rose interview, R.I.P., to Charlie Rose. <laughs> Apparently, he's a huge creep. Yeah. Um, which one is people that? People who were surprised by that, by the way. I'm which like, one, which really? One you was think that? the old white guy who like grew up in the '60s that is turns out to be kind of lascivious towards oh, women? Yeah, that was really surprising. Which the one that was post Lucasfilm sale? Is that he, the one where he called Disney white slavers? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you go back and watch the interview, that is an awesome interview, and a lot of the stuff that George Lucas says is like super spot on. Mm-hmm. Like he. The I think it's a little. I think it's a little cheesy to sell your franchise for four billion dollars and then complain about the way they're using your franchise. I think it's okay to have mixed feelings on it. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, no one's gonna really care because it's like, yeah. okay, well, you can go home and like shoot ten dogs and still have ten more dogs. I don't know why that was the, <laughs> that was, that was the weirdest like, way to describe a rich person. That's, that's what they all do. Every single rich person. Jake, what's gonna happen when you get rich? <laughs> Quite frankly, I don't want to know. <laughs> Jake seems to got a lot of dogs lately. Crap! Oh, how much money did you make this year, Jake? Why are you buying so many dogs? How many dogs worth did I even make? Let me think about this. Jake has 20 dogs. <laughs> oh, make that 10. <laughs> what in the world? Can you talk about, about the Charlie Rose interview again, please? Please talk about for it. For the sake of the show. Please leave this in the show. Oh, it's stated. Uh, <laughs> basically, like, the stuff that George Lucas was saying, I think that Lucas is future should be like what are you doing before like on the original trilogy i think that he should have an idea for something and hire young cool directors to make it and like young cool art department and do that because he has a very 
like that indie filmmaker spirit is still in him a lot. And like the way, when he talks about the way that the Hollywood system works, he basically described like Jurassic World and Colin Trevorrow. He's like, they pick these young directors. It's like gambling, right? They pick these young directors. They've made like one successful indie film. And then they make him do this movie that can't possibly fail. It's going to make a certain amount of money. And if it's terrible, then they just tank this guy's career and nobody cares. Like Red Tails. Yeah, right, exactly. Like, who directed that movie? <laughs> nobody knows. But I, you know what I'm talking about, yeah. though. Like, I think that, like, he does have uh, good ideas, but I don't know. Sometimes it is okay just for old, white, weird people to go away. I, You know what? <laughs> I have one more thing I want to talk about with George. Yeah. Why didn't he do anything from 1983 to 1999 he's he's talked about it because he had kids and he wanted to be there as a dad he didn't want to be like an absentee father so he wanted to concentrate on just like having a company but not directing movies all right sounds like a load of garbage to me who would want to be a good dad feels like owning a company takes a lot of time as well well i think that's exactly why it's because he was owning a company and running it he didn't want to also direct the movies Mm -hmm. because he wouldn't have had any time for his family remember he started writing phantom menace in 1994 yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. And you can tell, because it obviously looked like a movie that took five years to write. <laughs> obviously. It, <laughs> when you write something for five years, it's going to be solid and perfect and no holes. And... I hardly agree, yeah. Riley. <laughs> you agree. Like, Wait you a agree minute. hardly? Like, you agree, like, firmly? Heartily. You agree erectly? Like a tomato. <laughs> like a hearty tomato. Anyway, I just wondered what he was doing. Why he didn't direct any movies. Why hasn't he done anything except Star Wars and, since Star Wars? That's kind of the problem, isn't it? That's all people have to go off of. It's, yeah. Uh, you can just focus all of your energy on... Boy, if I only we had movies. watched his other movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, for the record, if you're wondering why we're not talking about American Graffiti and THX, we wanted to, but one of us is planning a wedding. The other two have their own families, presumably. I guess they want to be good dads, too. Also, yeah. for the sake of this discussion, I didn't think they were super relevant to kind of the I disagree. stuff we were talking about. Well, not for me. Like for the, what I wanted to talk about, I didn't care about those two movies. Like I just wanted to talk about like kind of yeah. what he became. Because that's kind of... I mean, wasn't it Francis Ford Coppola who said basically like Star Wars took away one of our greatest directors? One of America's most challenging filmmakers, he said. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Coppola kind of saw what Lucas was going for, the the career trajectory he had yeah, before that's the Star thing. Wars like, came the out. The stuff he did was like artsy and weird when he was in film school and that then I honestly blockbusters. I really would like for him to do that to re- but I, I think I think at this point I don't I don't I don't think it'll I happen in any movie that he what he has said is that even if he makes something like for fun he wouldn't show it to people and I kind of get that because yeah. nobody would be able to evaluate it like hey this new indian director directed your movie would be like george lucas the guy who ruined the world he would have to like blacken should, his mustache he should so ghost direct himself. a movie i honestly ghost direct the whip yeah <laughs> i had this idea that <laughs> ghost direct the whip. i have this idea for like Zack snyder because he's finished he'll never direct a movie again but well, that's probably not true. That's but not true. He's going to do another movie. He's, gonna make, he's not going to do another superhero he's gonna movie need, for a Yeah, while. exactly. But I, I feel like it would be kind of like amazing. Because I, I feel a little bit the same way about uh, him and uh, the superhero movies he's done. Where I don't feel like he's been able to direct a movie with a great script. And that's kind of true. a shame. Because he keeps pairing up with like David Goyer, who mm. is a pile of human trash, in my Goyer, humble opinion. Bitch. 
and like Goyerabage. Goyerabage. This <laughs> a pun that really works. <laughs> and I, I would kind of love it if like they're like Man of Steel two director Fred Ferdinand. <laughs> and they're like Fred Ferdinand. Like nope, nope. Friend. And uh, no relation. And then like there's it's like this weird guy in a mustache. Ironically. You never see his whole face. He's just like wearing a hoodie on set all the time. Mm -hmm. And then the movie comes out and it gets like a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes. Return to form for Superman. He's like, ha ha. It was <laughs> me both. all along. I can direct a good movie. But uh, but then what if it was bad? But then he'd be like, oh, that, that, that guy. Fred. He just, <laughs> he left town. <laughs> he bounced. I, it would, I think I get know what you're getting at. It would be nice to like know once and for all. Like, if people's opinions are shaded so hard by just the name that they see on the screen. When yeah, because if, if he ever made a movie again, it would never get a fair review from the public. No. Like, it, you can't, he's got so much baggage. You know what I you think? You couldn't objectively review a George Lucas movie now. I think what I've, like, what's been interesting to see with, like, the DC movies, which are the new DC prequels. Movies. The DC movies. DC. <laughs> the way you said it. DC movies. They're the new prequels, right? Like, those are the new things. Like, in Phantom Menace was the pop culture worst thing that ever happened to anything until Batman v Superman came out. And now that's the thing. But it's kind of interesting that, like, the worst crime, that, and I, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. The worst crime that Justice League had was just being, like, pretty good. And, like, it wasn't <laughs> anything more than that. But, like, if you go in to see, like, a Marvel movie, every, like, those movies are, have all been great, right? Every, they've all been at least pretty good. Yeah. So when I'm, like, Somebody goes in, they're like, cool, I'm in good hands, Marvel movie, I'm excited to see what this next one's going to be. Whereas DC has messed up so many times, and people are like, ugh, what are they going to do this time? They don't get the benefit of they the have, doubt. They don't get the benefit of the doubt. People are going in with their arms folded, no. like, they better really blow me away this yeah. time, because I don't like these movies. And then, when something's pretty good, they're like, okay, well, I guess that was okay, but yeah, bah! Okay. And so, the perception machine has been really interesting to see, because I don't I don't, when I was a kid and the prequels were coming out, I didn't see that because I was just a kid watching them and enjoying them. And now I feel like I'm seeing the prequel thing in real time. It's kind of interesting. I think they I think they can do it though. Wonder Woman got great reviews. That that's people the, love that's Wonder the Woman. Thing. Like it had they just really have to make good a great, buzz. They have to make a great well, movie. Well, that's the thing, is like they can only make great movies. Yeah. So unless George Lucas directed like one of the great movies of the right. past ten years, he's then not gonna get a fish. Yeah. If he makes an okay if movie. If he made an okay movie, people would be like, Well, we appreciate the effort. They'd what be if like, he made no. an okay computer but in movie form? <laughs> oh, I'd love it. <laughs> I'd rather have what a What if kid he a. just played like you went to see the George Lucas movie? Like this is the greatest movie ever made. And you go and it's it's a blank screen, but they just played the album okay computer front to back. Pretty good. Hey. They just like it's a screen with like the front of the album, and then George Lucas comes halfway through and turns it over. And that's the <laughs> you half of the you read the back. <laughs> he slips through the liner notes at a certain point. Honestly, I would give a it a ten out of view. ten. Um, that's one of the things I think I mentioned before about the prequels was it was just such a hard stunt to pull off. Which and again, like plenty of directors shied away because they didn't want that on their hands. Like I gotta bring Star Wars back, and I gotta I gotta capture the magic that is really uncapturable because nothing will be Star Wars again. I hey, think Magic, get over here. Can't I, capture you. I heard someone, some article somewhere, maybe someone was talking about how the fact that... You like maybe saw an article where maybe somebody was talking about something? That's my source. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very good article. But um, the fact that would a studio ever greenlight like a new franchise ever again like Star Wars, where it's or Star Wars or Indiana Jones, where it's like this totally new concept Valerian. that 
Yeah, it's, it's it a Valerium. Was an, it wasn't a totally new concept. It's no, it's a comic that's been around for exactly. a while. Exactly. But Why it's like thinking the same thing recently. It's like these concepts that like are completely new and original. Not only that they exist, but also that they're going to capture the minds and hearts of audiences everywhere. I've been thinking about Indiana Jones a lot. I, Isaac's favorite movie. I personally like it a lot. And I was thinking like... Is that a movie that could really happen? I, I think the only way it could happen is because George Lucas and Steven Spielberg were like, we have an idea for a movie. And I think if it was Christopher Nolan had an idea or like one of the really big directors who are really still like, I, I it's hard to like maybe like David Fincher or somebody like had an idea. Like I have this great idea for like this new Yeah, just pick the movie. Two, two directors with the best reputations in Hollywood. Well, they, exactly. They put their brains together and had an idea. Exactly right. Yeah. Like but that's that's kind of why that movie got made is because it was like, well, it's Steven Spielberg and George Lucas making a movie. Mm -hmm. And just beyond that, even like, where's going to be like the Alan Ladd who finds like the up and coming filmmaker who had like a, a medium hit under his belt, <laughs> right? Who can and also to George Lucas American Graffiti was the biggest film of all time. Sounds which like I it. Don't think that can be possibly true. Also, the fact that it was such like a divergence to the movie from what <laughs> he had done before i mean it was like the divergence series it was a an a throwback car movie and this guy who made that movie wanted to make a space fantasy it's right, just such yeah. a weird leap i just don't know if that's gonna exist ever again and so the the new the when the prequel trilogy came out even when the sequel trilogy came out there's no way you can ever recapture that magic again so it's always going to be different and so it's almost like i think people were expecting that magic to happen again when it just was not going to happen again what do you think about that, buddy? I've just been spending this whole time trying to think of a movie, brand new idea that they tried to turn into a franchise that's come out recently. It hasn't really happened, has it? I feel like if you go into it wanting a franchise, it's not. Well, that's that's the thing, that's, right? That's a like, that's like a real Star trick, Wars, they George didn't Lucas they didn't do had, sequels back then. George Lucas had like an they did like direct to video sequels, and that's what like that's what American Graffiti Two was, and that's what everybody assumed Star Wars Two was going to be. Lucas had the idea for nine movies, right? But he but also he, ended a he, New Hope in a way that yeah, is completely he had a satisfying. Full backstory in his head. Yeah, the yeah, realistic like, I gotta part. I got to keep that in my back pocket. Yeah, the realistic part of his brain knew this is probably going to be my only shot. Right. And so no one's going to make a movie with that mindset these days because well, it is always well. If this makes seven hundred fifty million at the box office, then this is definitely going to get greenlit. Well, that's for exactly the problem with multiverse. Hollywood. That's ex that's why Marvel succeeded and DC didn't is because Marvel was dealing with like third tier like quarterbacks going to the plate mm -hmm. and shooting their chest buckets into the hoop. Isn't it funny when people make sports ball jokes? What but like boy, they, oh boy. like when you talk like when you listen to Kevin Feige interviews, he's always like, We had to make every movie a hit because nobody knew about these characters really and like so everyone yeah. had to be good. Remember when and Iron Man came out? Iron Man was like, was like a nobody. What yeah. the heck? Iron Man is like a great superhero movie? What? Like yeah. but DC You mean the Black Sabbath song? <laughs> That's what and I they, thought. And they, boy, they played at the end of the movie. It wasn't that smart. Hey, when they flipped the the record over, they when they flipped over Paranoid, the middle of the movie, that was. Is that a thing that happened in the middle of the movie? Yeah, the middle of Iron Man. They take the was that a out? What were the Black Sabbath albums? I don't even know. I have no idea what you're talking I about don't, either. I've seen <laughs> Iron Man several times. I don't know what this is. Yeah, the middle. They just take the while. Black Sabbath re record and they just flip it right over. And then the rest of the movie starts continuing. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Good joke. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we I think we've wrapped up this George Lucas discussion. Yeah, we've talked a lot 
Closing arguments. <laughs> What's a going lot on? about George? I'm joking today. A lot about George. A lot about George. Uh, closing arguments. I like George Lucas. I think he's a huge whiny baby jerk, but I think he's a really good director. He's got cool ideas. I'd like to grab a coffee with him sometime. See what's to pick his nose brain. Closing arguments. I like George Lucas. I think he gets a bad rap for making. I some... think he would be bad at rap too. He would be way. very bad at rap. Could he ghost ride the whip? He could. Go... I don't think he could. <laughs> He'd be like me, and I know what it meant. I like how we let Jake say his closing final thoughts. Okay. Say it then. I think he gets a bad rap for making some not so great movies. Like if that's the his worst offense, unless it comes out next week that he was like a sexual harasser oh, back no. in the day. Which at this rate, you yeah, never know. But I think he gets a lot of flack for not doing that terrible of a thing. Um but I also don't think the prequels were very good, and I wish that he had done a better job. But I like George. Whatever. You whatever. Know, you're not He's mad. Whatever. You're just disappointed. Yeah. That's exactly it. My closing right, arguments are that, as Riley mentioned, if it's anything we've learned recently, don't get too attached to anyone who's famous. <laughs> that is true. Because <laughs> they will inevitably break your heart. Yep. And so holding George at arms. White man in positions of power in Hollywood. Be a little careful there. The, the <laughs> character I've created on this show the uh, Indiana Jones hating George Lucas uh, ton bathing person. <laughs> Even though that may be a character that's been created, I can at least understand that he's someone you need to keep at arm's length. It's created from a great deal of your actual personality. What were you going to do? But <laughs> all, all things considered, yes, like I, I can see that he's kind of an out-of-touch weirdo, but ultimately that's... I, I, I didn't get as angry on this episode as I, as I thought I would, because it turns out I think you guys kind of agree with me that People could should kind of just lay off, and if you're basing your entire life on yeah. what one guy did to three movies, then that's probably more about you than it is about him. Yeah, that's ridiculous. People go too far. They're they're not very good movies, but what, who cares? For you, yeah, a whole lot of a whole lot of crappy you're movies get released every year. For me, what if he said that? You're a big guy. <laughs> For me, <laughs> oh. Well, it's the old, like, what if Ray's name was Fart argument all over again. It's just it really like is. that. This has been Graham Up Talking, delicately curated long-form discussion in the internet. What if people want to talk to us, Jake? Well, they can go this one. to Twitter. We didn't do that on the last one. Discord. Oh, we did not. Episode notes. People read those. Yeah. Twitter, Discord is great. Send us an email, review us, or we'll be forced to make you endure more Ryan Bullock dedications. Ryan Bullock will be happy. And yeah. we'll be happy, too, because he's our best fan, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. He's the only one we're allowed to talk about. I mean, listen, have we had great fans in the past like Shamrock and Darth Goody and Robert and Mac and all those guys? Yes. Hard to say, but our current only fan, as of this recording, is Ryan Bullock. <laughs> so uh, hit him up on Twitter, too. <laughs> uh, follow him on Facebook. Live. Live. And uh, follow him on Discord. And Which cord? Discord right here. <laughs> Look at your curated long-form discussion of the internationally beloved Star Wars Saga Taylor to the Modern Fanatic brought to you lovingly in weekly increments by the questions to soothing voices of your host, Riley. Hello, Marsha. Jake, that's me, Marsha, and Isaac. 1-800-468-9377-1-800-GMT. Yes, Y-E-S-S. Call the GMT guest line hotline now. Marsha. Why did you say that name? <laughs> there it is. There it is. fun.
we have flirting. <laughs> Isaac, Close describe quarters. what just happened with your butt. I uh, I took my butt and put on a chair leg and put it onto like the edge of a coffee table and I almost fell. It does sound really painful. You put your butt on a chair leg, <laughs> buddy. We're all just putting our butts on chair legs these days. Hey, buddy, with two T's. Um, it is the greatest reaction. Him like taking his glasses off. Yeah, Austin Walker is, a, is an American treasure. Oh, that was so good. Like Drew carried it on whose line? <laughs> We knew something was real funny. He took his glasses off. That's like somebody does in every movie, like when something serious happens. I hate that trope of movies that people are constantly taking their glasses off and putting them back on. That's just not a thing. Like, Riley, glasses you wear glasses. Order, yeah. yeah, do no, you I, ever do no, that? No, no. you don't I even take, remember that you have them on. I take them off to clean them. When That's I don't have them on, I still touch. Like I think they're there. The only thing is if it's like an old person and it's reading glasses. Yes, but that's never the case like no. in movies. It's always no, it's like, like big. A, yeah. <laughs> no, no you don't even notice your glasses are, are on. You shouldn't notice. That's why actors take it off because they're like, ow, wait, my face hurts. <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> and a lot of times if you boost up the audio a lot, you can hear him say that. Like uh, Daniel boost Craig Mobile. and uh, Dan, the Dan Lewis. Dragon Tattoo movie. In that movie. Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Craig and the Daniel Dragon Day Tattoo. Daniel Day Craig and Dragon Tattoo. He takes his glasses like this and drapes them across his face. That seems uncomfortable. I thought it was really cool when I was uh, in high school and watched it, and I, I tried to do it. It didn't really work. <laughs> Names, everyone say your most embarrassing story from young adolescence. No. <laughs> Will not do that. I, well, now you have to because I think you have one in mind now. I was just thinking like this one time I went, went around and wanted people to call me CK because I hated my name Riley. <laughs> <laughs> CK? Yeah, I don't know why I picked CK. Was it was after Clark Kent, but you know. Oh, okay. No yeah. way! You want people to call you CK yeah. and Clark Kent? I was I was going somewhere. We were like on vacation or something, so we were around people who didn't know me. So I was like, I'm gonna go by CK on this trip. <laughs> I want people to call me CK for Clark for Clark Kent. That's and, uh, amazing. Anyway, there's my embarrassment. My good friend. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> we have good chemistry. <laughs> Award winning podcast, Papa John's. We. <laughs> <Is he? laughs> Riley's face. He's just kicking back and judging me and Isaac this whole episode. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of it, like packed like fetuses in a crushed tin box. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me.